not completely abandon Jesus, if you add anything to the gospel, then the world gets happy with you. The gospel, a, a works salvation will send you to hell. A works, a gospel plus works message will also send you to hell. The only liberating, the only forgiving message is the message that is fully the mercy and grace of God. I look to only one thing. All those who have been welcomed by God look to only one thing. Jesus' work on the cross plus nothing. You add anything to it and you've taken all the power away. You've gone from grace to works. And that always is that little poison pill and so but they're attracted to this why because then it will pull them away from they won't get the persecution the world will be fine as long as you can add self-righteousness to jesus righteousness we're good with that and barnabas is writing to them reminding them principally reminding them of things they formerly knew and were oriented to most of what he's telling them isn't new information. He's reminding them. He's reminding them in this first chapter. God, in the past, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now He has spoken to us by Son. Let me ask you a question. If I were to say to you, in 20 seconds, there's a man that's going to walk through that door. It's going to be one of these two men. One of them, Moses or Jesus, who do you pick? You better pick Jesus. <laughs> because even Moses would pick Jesus. <laughs> Moses would say, oh yeah, Jesus. He's spoken to us by his son. And what was the revelation to them that the son was? Moses never would have said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said it. Moses never would have said, everything that I do is the Father doing it through me. Every word that I, in John 12, Jesus says, every word that I have spoken to you, my apostles. This is after three and a half years of ministry. Every word that I have spoken to you has been actually dictated to me from heaven itself. And they saw him heal and cleanse lepers and raise the dead hundreds of times. They saw him calm storms. And they were, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Well, he's the Son. He is God the Son. In fact, He is, as John tells us in John Gospel of John chapter 1, He's actually the creative agent of the Godhead. He's God the Son, who is the creative agent of the Godhead. And He became flesh, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who He is. He spoke to our fathers through the prophets. He's spoken to us, Barnabas says, through the Son. And oh, by the way, he has granted to us rest. Not the seventh day rest of the Sabbath, though that was a wonderful blessing, by the way. Peasants in the ancient world typically work seven days a week. <laughs> Jesus gave them, God gave them a seventh day off. 
mandated it. And he fed them and he gave them the rest of Canaan, which they turned away from. He gave them the rest of the Sabbath, which they typically violated. He gave them all kinds of things. They violated God's law so badly that he sent them off into captivity to the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and then he brought them back. He restored them. If they wanted to come back, they could. Many of them didn't, but many of them did. But he gave them rest. But the number one rest he gives to us is the, and he gave it to them in the ancient times, the rest of his promise. If you're a Jew coming out of Egypt and you've seen your God destroy Egypt and drown their army in the Red Sea after you've just walked through it, and then he's given you all these promises, and here is Moses penning these promises, and he's given them to you, and you already know of many of these ancient promises spoken to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Job, many others. What did they, they could have rested in those promises. I'm going to bring you into the land of Canaan, and I'm going to give that to you. Hey, glory, hallelujah. If God gives me a promise, when can I start rejoicing in it? When I get it. Because if God says it, that settles it, I believe it. That settles it. It's over. It, it's going to happen if God says it's going to happen. It's as good as done. They could have rested in that. Instead, they rebelled. And the Barnabas tells the readers, you've got the rest of his promises that you can rest in right now in your persecution. And he will show up for you. 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 And you have the promised rest of his coming kingdom when you will be walked into the glory of his promised kingdom. And you don't even have, you can go and examine Nero's palace. Don't bother. Don't bother. Because it's going to look like a hovel compared to what he's going to walk you into. Divine glory awaits you. you can, and that will be the ultimate rest. And oh, by the way, we have Jesus as a, not only our Savior, not only our Redeemer, we have Jesus is our high priest. What is a high priest? What does a priest do? A priest, this is so wonderful because Jesus is God, but he's also fully human. He's become our Redeemer, and he is between God and us, and he works principally on God's behalf in our lives and he is our representative before the Father. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. If you haven't memorized these verses, memorize them. This, that's an order. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Write that down. <laughs> 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, this is the Apostle John writing, my little children, these things I write to you that you might not sin. Listen to what I've just wrote in those first 10 verses that are chapter 1. And if anyone sins, you told us in verse 7, we all do, of chapter 1. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate 
a high priest, a defense attorney with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation, fancy word for satisfaction, for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Who is my Perry Mason? Who is my lawyer? Who is my attorney? Jesus! You step into heaven's courts and your defense attorney can walk up to the bench and say, Hello, Daddy, to the judge. <laughs> Hello, Father. Hello, Daddy. And he's my defense attorney? Is that an advantage? And he is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction for my sins. Not just the sins I've committed before I came to faith in it, but every sin afterwards. That's not an excuse to go ahead and sin, but is saying God has completely, utterly, finally addressed the sin issue. It's a non-issue as far as my welcome with God. I have a, an unrestrained, eternal welcome with the Holy God based on what Jesus accomplished for me on the cross. And it is a settled thing. The moment I allow God to embrace me with His mercy and His grace, when I, entrust, when I believe the Gospel, that good news message, it's a settled issue forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I, as a Christian, do I sin? Yes, in fact, 1 John 1, 7, which I mentioned a moment ago, John says, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, can it be done? I mean, is there a, a way of saying, I'm getting it right any better than that? I'm walking in the light. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What? 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 I'm walking in the light. What do you mean I'm walking in the light? What do, what's this sense? Oh, I didn't say you were getting it perfect. One of God's great, and I, I know you've heard this before, one of God's great kindnesses to us, ladies and gentlemen, is He doesn't let us see the fullness of what holiness is because it would absolutely slay us. We would be immobilized. One of the things, when we get to heaven, we will be shocked to the soles of our feet by what holiness really looks like. And we will still experience His embrace and His smile because He has made us holy. He has made us holy by virtue of what His Son did for us on the cross. And we have a high priest. Seeing then, 4.14 of Hebrews, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He's passed every test. He's in the very presence of God. Jesus, the Son of God. Who's my attorney? Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Don't back down from your profession, profession of Christ in your town, your neighborhood, your family. 
Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. When we come to Jesus confessing our sins, he doesn't hold his nose and say, oh, please, not again. No, he doesn't. Satan wants you to think he's like that, but he's not. He does sympathize with our weaknesses. He was in all points tempted as we are. And I would add to this, if I'm allowed to do that, and beyond. If there isn't any temptation that we have or can face that he didn't face. But the difference is our temptations end in one of two ways. Either we fail or God in his mercy ends the test. Jesus is God the Son become flesh. There never comes a point where Jesus was about to fail because he's God. He saw every test through. He saw every test through. And still did not fall. But he was tempted. He, he sympathizes with us because he was, he's been where we are. You don't have to say, well, let me tell you about this, Jesus. No, stop it. <laughs> he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the... Wait a minute. What does Satan say to you? You better just run and hide because God doesn't want to hear from you. No. The Holy Spirit says the opposite here. He says, come boldly. Come boldly. David committed adultery and murder. And what did David do? Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. And he got it. He got it. We have a God who sympathizes with us. He feels with sympathy means I feel with you. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. The very thing that Satan says we can't do, do it. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Mercy is unrestrained, incredible forgiveness. And find grace to help, the provision, the gifting that we need to help in time of need. So he, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God gladly pours out both. For every high priest taken from among men, so here we're talking about Aaron and all of his descendants. By the way, there's two lines of priests. There's the Aaronic line of priests that you find established with Moses' brother Aaron and all of his oldest son's descendants through the generations. And then there's another line of priests that we're going to hear about. And it's the one mentioned in Psalm 110 that we read. There's the line of Melchizedek. Well, who is Melchizedek? This is so beautiful. 
Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness, righteous king. And he was the king of a city in the land of Canaan called Salem. Salem later became called Jebusalem and then Jerusalem. Why? Because the Jebusites took it over, so they changed Salem to Jebusite Salem, Jebusalem, Jerusalem. Well, Melchizedek was the king of Salem when Abraham came back. Abraham's nephew Lot was living by the city of Salem, or excuse me, Sodom. And some kings, an alliance of kings over in the Mesopotamian Valley, the Tigris-Euphrates Valley, they came over because these cities were supposed to be paying them tribute and they hadn't. Finally, they said, we're done. We're not paying you tribute anymore. So these kings came over with their armies and they conquered those cities and took all the people, enslaved the entire population and took everything. I mean, they emptied every pantry, every closet, every bank account. And they're on their way back to, Mel to uh, Mesopotamia. And the problem for them is that one of the captives was Lot and his wife and his kids. And so that's Abraham's nephew. So Abraham gets some allies, Anner, Mamre, and Eshkol, who were already his friends, and they got their hundreds of servants together, and they attacked these Mesopotamian kings, completely defeated them, got all the goods and people from all those cities and they had all these goods. Well, the king of Sodom had gotten away. He wasn't one of the captives. Well, Abraham is like overwhelmed. I've got all this enormous amount of wealth here in my lap right now. This is cool. And God came to him and he said, don't, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Have I not promised you blessing? Yes. Who do you want to get the credit for the blessing you receive? Well, I sure don't want it to be the king of Sodom. And so this fellow Melchizedek came out. And Melchizedek was a high priest of the God that Abraham worshipped. We've never heard of this guy before. But he comes out. For, he's the king of Salem. He comes out, meets Abraham. Abraham knows who he is. And Abraham pays him a tithe of all the plunder. And then the king of Sodom shows up and says, okay, you can keep everything, Abraham. Just give me the people. And Abraham says, no way, Jose. It's not going to happen. The men who, have been, who are with me, Enter Memory and Eshkol, they need, to, they need to share the plunder. And all the needs of my own men and their men the physical needs that in order to do this rescue, that needs to be kicked. But I am not taking a shoelace or a thread. Not one thing. Nothing. Because when God blesses me, pal, I don't want you taking the credit for it. So he took nothing. And what encouraged him was that Melchizedek came out, whom he knew was the, high, the priest of the Most High God. And he gave the tithe to him, and he, that was that encouragement that Abraham needed we never hear of Melchizedek again until four hundred five six about five six hundred years later 
David writes about him in Psalm 110. God the Holy Spirit pushes this through David's pen. I'm sure David's like, what did I just write? But the Lord Yahweh, David says, my God, said to my Lord, you are a priest forever after the order, not of Aaron, but of Melchizedek, which is a priesthood that predates Aaron's priesthood and is completely separate. And so Jesus is a priest in the line of Melchizedek, who is a Christ figure. He may actually have been what's called a theophany, a vision of God himself. He may have been, but Jesus is a priest from the Melchizedekan line, which is forever. Verse 2, he came, of chapter 5, he, Jesus, can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. He laid aside the independent use of his non-moral attributes, his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence. He made, God the Son became fully a man as far as the strength that he walked in as far as solving I mean he's out there in the wilderness for example when he's fasted for 40 days and he becomes hungry and what does Satan say to him hey you're for the son of God why don't you turn these these rocks into some bread man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God could he have done it yes he could have done it but he chose not to because he's walking in humility he would have been exercising his divine power from himself instead of it being supplied to him by God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. God walked in utter, as we are to walk, in dependence upon his Father's provision, not out of his own capacities as God the Son. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he, a, an, a high priest, is required as for the people. And this is talking about high priests in general. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so for also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. You've heard of Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That happens every year as part of the Jewish calendar. And what was this about? This was about that it would have two goats outside the camp. And they would bring one of them in and it would be sacrificed. And the high priest, you know the high priest only went into the Holy of Holies once a year? He went into the Holy of Holies once a year and he went in with some of the blood of that goat. And he had bells on the hem of his robe so they could hear him moving around and if the bell stopped ringing and they heard a thud they also had provision for that they had a rope tied around his ankle so they could drag him out because there's no way anybody's going in there because if you go in there and you're not the high priest you're struck dead well it never happened that a high priest was struck dead but every year he'd go in with the blood of this goat and he would sprinkle that on the mercy seat and then he would come out 
and offer another sacrifice for the sins of the people. And what this did is it took their sin debt that had been uh, accumulating over the last year and the years before that, since Adam, and it delayed the paying of the note for another year. And then another year would expire, and hey, we still don't have the resources to pay our debt, our sin debt to God. So they would do it again and again, and God would delay the pay. You can go into the bank. There is a way you can, I mean, the banks can do this. I haven't heard of them doing that. But you can go into the bank, and you can take out a loan. They, they, have, they can do whatever they want. And so you can, okay, I don't want to pay this back in monthly installments. I want to pay the whole principal plus interest back at the end of the year. And if they want, they are agreeing to that. Okay, and they, that's the contract. You come back at the end of the year and, <coughs> I'm sorry, I don't have the principal or, or the interest to pay back. Oh, okay, we'll delay the payment of the note for another year. And in another year, you'll come back with more principal and more interest. And that's what's happening every Yom Kippur. And the debt gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the principal gets bigger every year because they're sinning more. Until Jesus on the cross. What did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on that cross, the sixth of the seven G statements Jesus makes is it's paid in full, it is finished, and that was a financial term and legal term, meaning the debt has been paid. But what was their experience as Jews every year if they went to Jerusalem? They could have witnessed the high priest going in and out. That's what priests do. And priests can have compassion on them because the priest is shock of all shocks this, this priest is also a sinner so he can have compassion on he can feel with you he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness because of this he the priest is required as for the people so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sin and so when that priest high priest went in on yom kippur he would offer for himself first then he would come out and then bring more blood in for the people. And no man takes this honor to himself. You don't appoint yourself the high priest. But he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, Psalm 110, written a thousand years before Jesus' birth, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now that is actually a quote from Psalm 2, also by David. And the same God who pushed that through David's pen pushed this through David's pen. He also says in another place, Psalm 110, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Who, Melchizedek, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, and was heard, excuse me, this is not Melchizedek, this is Jesus, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he, the son, 
learned obedience by the things which he suffered. In order to be our defense attorney, our high priest, he had to go through an education process where he was tested in all points as we are. And having been perfected, having completed his education, he became the author of eternal salvation, eternal deliverance to all who obey him. What, are, what is the command that we're called on to obey? We're, we find this out in Acts 17 is the clearest statement where Paul is on Mars Hill and he's saying to the gathered Greeks, God commands all men everywhere to, what's the command? Repent. Repent means I completely abandon my self-righteousness. I completely abandon every religious thing I've ever done as making myself welcome before God. I abandon them. I leave them behind. I repent. And I'm changing my orientation completely to be a welcomer of your mercy and grace. Repent means change your orientation. God commands all men everywhere to repent. And so stepping into God's kingdom is, also, is not only a gift to be received, a promise to be believed, it is a command to be obeyed. God commands us, believe in my son. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Oh, I, I, keep, I keep forgetting uh, how deaf you become because of your sinfulness. Um, you know, then, he'll, he's, then he's going to punch him in the snout in the next paragraph and then he's going to resume his teaching. So, is that not us? I tell you what, that's me. Does God ever have to reach off the page and go, yes, he does. And that's an act of kindness because he wants us to step into the fullness of his blessing. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we want to thank you for the, your mercy. We want to thank you that uh, an aspect of your mercy is you have, you have educated your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to become a fitting, qualified defense attorney, high priest for us, so that he can sympathize with us and he can speak for us before you. And of course, your ears are always open to hear his pleas. And 100% of the time, you grant what he pleads. And we thank you for that. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and allow our brother Ron to make his way over to...